Well, I have a couple of announcements to make. Uh, one great announcement is that uh, Brent is uh, much better. So, so we rejoice in that. Janice and I went over to uh, the hospital on Friday night and had a good conversation with him. And uh, so he's still pretty weak. And he's just trying to get his uh, bearings a little bit. And um, uh, I think he's going to recover fully from this. It's just uh, he had a stroke, as you know, as well as... Uh, so he's doing much better, and thank God uh, he actually uh, uh, was dead for three minutes. I mean, he was just, he was like not there. So, so he came back. Thank God, God gave him back to us. Okay. So that's the good news. I I was thinking about uh, the ministry. Sometimes I get all nostalgic. I um, I'm in my 44th year of ministry, and don't be too depressed about that, everybody. Uh, I know I look like I'm in my 20th. Uh, and even that would be a long time, wouldn't it? I mean, especially as ministry years go. You know, you have dog years, human years, you have ministry years. So that's like the equivalent of about 100 years old, I think. So uh, in that uh, time, I've just seen a lot. I experienced a lot. Every kind of victory and praise, every type of, of suffering, every kind of loss. And so uh, the McIntosh family are under tremendous attack right now. Um, and part of it is life, part of it, I think, is, I'm convinced, is uh, t uh, pretty demonic. So when I use that word demonic, I don't use it loo loosely. What I mean by that is I mean that uh, that's the time to really pray. And Amen. the good news about demonic is that everything has to come under the authority of Jesus, especially for a praying group of people like ours, right? So another thing happened to the McIntosh family is very, very difficult. Most of you probably don't know yet, but... Uh, their oldest daughter, uh, Timbrel, um, actually, I think that's their, their only daughter, Timbrel, and she's also the oldest in the family, was married a few years ago to a man named Cade, and he died in a motorcycle accident recently. So, so they're suffering again uh, from another thing they're having to deal with in their family. So if you could just be praying for them. Matter of fact, the only reason why I told you that uh, right now is I felt like, uh, you know, I, God said, Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. So we either like fluff it up, say, oh, it's nice, we're praying, we're worshiping, or we actually have to get down to the place where God answers prayer, right? And uh, thank God for our brother uh, Brent and their family that uh, he's on the mend. We still need to pray for him, though. He's still not quite out of the woods yet. He needs to get out of that hospital. But also, of course, now uh, for Timberl, his daughter, and for their whole family. They must feel like they've been hit with a one-two punch. We've been hit with one-two punches before. If you've been in their 44th year of ministry, you've seen about everything uh, there is to see. And uh, I assure you, no matter what the enemy tries to do or whatever man or however it works out, we always bounce back. God always is on the throne. And he always brings something good out of something very, very stinky. I remember just a couple of years into our church plant, uh, one of my main leaders, uh, we'd, he was actually assistant pastor, died of cancer. And we've had other things like that that were just so horrible and awful and, and uh, through the years you can imagine. But you know what I found? God's people are really resilient because he made them that way. They're resilient because they have the very spirit of God in them. And though there's death in the morning or death, you know, at night or wherever, whenever, there's always a resurrection somewhere. And uh, God will resurrect their family. He will heal them. He will touch them. And sometimes I believe that one of the reasons why we go through things like this is because we then become qualified to be amazing ministers to others 
in the world who have no hope, who don't even know Jesus, who are walking blind, right? And you that have experienced trouble and trial, then you'll be of special help to them and other families because you know what it's like to lose a loved one. Maybe you've lost a son or a daughter. Maybe you've had you know, terrible trauma in your life. One great thing about people who've gone through terrible trauma is they're uniquely equipped to help others who are going through the same. So it's a, a hard way to get your ministry papers, but it really is powerful. And so I just encourage you, I'm just sort of reminded of this today. If any of you have gone through a really deep trial, you've lost a loved one or whatever, um, I just encourage you, really encourage you to uh, just use that experience that you've had and use it as a way to minister to others. There's a little impartation that's been given to you that is uniquely yours and uniquely able to comfort others in their distress. So you're uniquely qualified by the pain you've been given, right, and that you've had to, had to walk through. And um, so this would be a good time to exercise that. And it's always a good time, right, especially when you see someone's gone through uh, really difficult uh, trials and troubles. We also uh, have a pro- uh, Deborah had a mild stroke as well who does a lot of our refreshments. So we've kind of been hit from all kinds of sides here. So I want to pray for her. I also want to pray for the Nackintoshes again. And I'll tell you one thing, I, I, I can't help this, um, it's as difficult as this news is and was, uh, just to see Brent talking again was just such a wonderful thing, because uh, uh, he, he came about as close to death as you can come, you know, he was dead for three, uh, three minutes or so, any more time, and I don't, I, you know, there would have be, been permanent damage. So Lord, we just thank you for that miracle, and thank you for restoring him, and he's getting stronger all the time. But now, Lord, you need to heal on the inside. And that's very, very difficult for us sometimes. Sometimes it's harder for the inside than the outside. But I pray you just be with their timbrel and their whole family. And I pray, God, as we pray not only now but all through the week, I pray you would restore them, encourage them, just help them, Lord, as only you can do. It's going to have to be a supernatural encouragement. You're going to have to carry them along like you do, like you do all of us. Aren't you glad you serve the Lord? Well, we thank you we serve the Lord because we're not on our own. You carry us when we can't walk. You carry us when we can't make sense of anything. You carry us along and you heal us. And you raise us up and you make us stronger and better and able to heal and even have compassion for those that are weak and broken. In Jesus' name. Heal Deborah, Lord. Get her out of that bed. I thank you that it was very mild. I mean, I think she may even be home now. But I just thank you for that. I just pray for anyone else that's under pressure like that that we know. If you know anyone else that's sick, why don't you stand up for them right now if they're not in the auditorium already? Just, just stand for them. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for everyone that we know that's physically ill, maybe even mentally and emotionally ill. Lord, we, we just as a congregation, we pray for them right now. You that maybe are standing or maybe you're sick in your body and we don't know. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus you would heal us that are standing or need healing. But also, Lord, we just pray you would visit all through our church we thank you for breakthroughs that we've been getting. I've seen some smiling breakthroughs. It was really encouraging to me to walk through the door and see a couple of you know, know been healed of impossible things. Sort of like the Lord was going, see, I still do it, right? Ooh, yeah. I, mean, I mean, literally, things that aren't healed were healed. And I just saw a couple of you today. It was just so encouraging. So, Lord, I take that, and I just put that, Lord, on anyone here today that needs healing, any breakthrough, anyone that we're especially interceding for and praying for. And if you need just be healed in your emotions, in your heart, uh, even through what's happened with Brent's family, may the Lord just encourage you and strengthen you. And of course, Lord, I pray, God, you just 
be with the Macintosh family. We thank you, Lord, for how much holy seed is on the ground from what they've sowed into this church and into the whole world. Put it back on their head, Lord. Put it back on their head and restore it and completely bring them to a fullness of health, emotionally, mentally, and physically. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So uh, I got the news last night, just as I had finished my sermon, God is closer than you think. Which I thought that was interesting. And um, this is a meaningful message to me because of so many dimensions of what we're going to talk about today, including one of my favorite psalms, which is uh, Psalm 34. And I just want to read that real quickly. As I talk about God is closer than you think, I, I um, just want you to remind you of how, in the coming of Jesus, how accessible God is. That was the whole thing. God became a man and made himself accessible. And then made us accessible through him to others. Gaining his authority, his power, certainly not at his level, but he releases this through the Holy Spirit as he chooses and uses us in the ministry. And not only for us to minister to others, but also for ourselves. He's closer than we think. Always closer than we think. It's an unlimited uh, pool of intimacy. No matter how horrible your situation seems, he's closer than you think. As a matter of fact, I'm beginning to realize that um, I think my spiritual life really consists of this. I just say maturity is knowing that God's closer than you think. <laughs> That's real Christian maturity when you know he's close. I mean, not just anyway, but but in your heart you know, right? And uh, so I felt like, uh, I don't have this on your outline, but I want to start here with uh, Isaiah 53. And uh, I just felt like God gave me this morning, I just want to read a couple of verses. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. This is about Jesus, by the way. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Listen to this. This is Jesus' life. He's the Son of God. There at creation. And look how he was treated. This is why God's closer than you think. He became a human being. Understands our own suffering very intimately. Aren't you glad you worship someone like that? Sometimes I go to Asia and these places and you see these austere, mean gods and weird faces and the strangest, stupidest you know, conceptions of them by humanity, right? But here's our God. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely this is one that was qualified, right, to take up our pain and bear our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Hanging on the cross, people began to think he deserved it. That this was the righteous thing to do, right? That if he wouldn't have been, if he would have been okay, he wouldn't have been put on that cross. Yet he was the spotless, pure son of God. No sin. And he suffered. There's probably no one that has suffered like him. Can you imagine what the enemy threw at him? And that space on the cross, can you imagine what the enemy tried to delude him into thinking 
Can you imagine the pain that was inflicted? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. What a remarkable, lovely passage of scripture. So if Isaiah 53 just stayed there, that would be amazing that God would become flesh and do that for us. But fortunately, there's an Isaiah 54, which follows, right? Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Verse in the song, shout for joy, you who are never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Wow, isn't it amazing how God can change things around? Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in your, your desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Wow. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth. Remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. He's that close. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. I love these verses. Even this next verse. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected. Says your God. For a brief moment I abandon you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. It's this compassion, this song, the song, the writing that follows Isaiah 53, which is about Jesus' death, this resurrection song in Isaiah 54, which is so important and relevant to us. So wherever we're barren, we can sing. He actually asks us to enlarge the place of our tent. Don't be afraid. You're not going to experience disgrace and humiliation. So sometimes we feel that, but the thing is, the devil can never make it stick. Never make it stick. And all these years I've told you how many horrible tragedies I've been in. It's amazing to me, now that I've told the tragedy part, how amazingly God brings grace. How he redeems every situation. Just when you think it could be so bad, he could never redeem it. He could never cause anything good to come out of it. He doesn't. He's that kind of Jesus. He's the redeemer. He redeems that which has been lost. And he gave his only life, his only son, the father did, to prove to us that he can redeem anything. He raised him from the dead. He raises us from the dead in every kind of way, shape, or form. Sometimes, literally, even resurrections are going at an unparalleled rate around the earth today. People actually brought back from the dead, proving that God is moving in an amazing way on the earth. God's closer than you think. Aren't you glad that God went through all of that for us? So he can taste death. He knows what it feels like. He understands the grief. It was all put on him. The shame, the grief, all of it. The failure, our sins, which caused the failure on the cross. Yet he resurrected from the dead and proved that he can give new life and breathe on anything and make it come to life. Even the worst death and the humiliation, right? So I want to look at uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 34. And if you look, there's just a few points here about this that I want to just go further with. So the first one is that you were made for thanksgiving and praise to God regardless of what is going on in your life. Did you know that? Yes. You were made for praise and thanksgiving. God's closer than you think. 
He tasted death, but also he resurrected from the dead. That means that you can resurrect from the dead. That means he can only resurrect you from the dead when you need to after you die, but he can resurrect you from the dead from a number of horrible situations. I'm looking at a whole room full of people because I know a bunch of you and I've known a bunch of you for a long time. How many resurrections can we count just in the life of this church over the last 25 years that we've seen God do? How many healings? How many deliverances? How many times people have come back from the worst of circumstances? How many business problems and failures are breathing life again? Things that we thought were dead are always breathing life again. That's why we worship Jesus, right? If Jesus is just an idea and a philosophy, how boring. Because it wouldn't have any life or any teeth to it. Nothing. Just a man-made idea of what would be utopia, right? But there's real power, real authority in the resurrection power of Jesus. He not only does it when we resurrect from the dead, but he brings resurrections all the time. Out of our disappointment, out of our worst injuries, out of our worst poverty, God is still God. And he makes uh, horrible things beautiful. And I just thank you for that ability, Lord. Thank you that we're going to resurrect someday from the dead and get a beautiful new body. I, I can be ready for that any day, right? But before that, there's hundreds of resurrections, hundreds of coming back, hundreds of ways the Lord ministers to us. Even uh, one of my most uh, largest joys about God being so closer, he's actually teaching us how to bring people into new homes that have been homeless for a long time. We're actually learning how to do it. We've actually been given the privilege of doing that. He's closer than you think. We've been re- God's using us to redeem all kinds of people. And I say using us because we couldn't do it on our own power. But through the resurrection power of Jesus, God takes things that are dead, things that are lost, things that are broken. Matter of fact, that's what I love about the warehouse. You know, the Mercy Warehouse is just a picture of our church. You just take things that everybody threw away, didn't think was worth anything, and people found value, find value in it. It's a picture. It's a living picture. It's the Mercy Warehouse. And through that warehouse, we give away tons of food, all kinds of clothing, all kinds of things. We generate money for all kinds of benevolent things. We're always doing it. It's a, it's a sign that God gave us in our church of where we really, who we really are. In the middle of our campus, love just bubbling up, overflowing, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. I say that because one thing I found about also is you can never outgive God. You can never outminister Him, right? It's amazing. So let's look at Psalm 34, 1 to 3. You were made for thanksgiving and praise of God regardless of what is going on in your life. I will extol the Lord at all times, he says. His praise will always be on my lips. How many times? All times. All times. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Can I just say thank you for all of you coming this morning? I know many of you come uh, every morning, every Sunday morning. But you know, you don't just come for you. When those voices go up and we all hear everybody singing and we pray for one another and someone has a special prayer for you, a special greeting, it's like heaven on earth. God inhabits the praises of his people, literally, right? You are made for thanksgiving and praise to God and it fills this room with this beautiful, sweet perfume. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 points it another, puts it another way. This is part of what we do. And in the process, God's close. God comes. 
because we're acting just like him, and it's his spirit that causes us to do this. So whatever I read from the scripture, the very Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you is saying, I cause that, I do that, I bring that through the life of my believers, I bring life through them, right? And so rejoice always, he says, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful passage. And then he says, don't quench the spirit, which I think is really, really interesting. So here's how you don't quench. You just rejoice always, even in sad times, even in difficult times. If Jesus Christ did not resurrect from the dead, you could not rejoice always. You could never put a smiley face on us because, oh, there's too much sorrow. And we would just die so we could get rid of this life, this miserable life. But God made us to celebrate. He put a new song in our heart. He gave us the power to rejoice always, to pray continually. And if we pray continually, that's not just because it's an exercise, a religious like mantra or something. People all over the world do that. It's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. Falling down every five steps, hoping to get somebody's attention every up there somewhere, gashing themselves, causing all kinds of religious things. But look what this says. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Would God be a somber God wanting to give thanks in all circumstances because uh, nothing good happens in your life and you're just supposed to bear up and suffer? No. For the most part, especially in the United States of America and other countries like ours, which we should still be so very thankful for, we can give thanks in all circumstances because God's blessed us so much. It's not so hard, right? Rejoice always, though. Pray continually in all circumstances, even the ones that aren't so negative. So by God's grace, God's been giving me some grace to rejoice, to just give thanksgiving, Amen. praise. And uh, I think uh, even when we have negative things happen, I think part of the art of living is to make sure that we say thank you very, very much. <laughs> A lot. I tell you what, God's closer than you think. And one thing I've noticed about Thanksgiving is it brings God so close. Appreciating for all kinds of things. It does. It's a wonderful way, uh, giving thanks, rejoicing always, pray continually. Well, how could I rejoice always? Rejoice always? Are you kidding me? Just think about always for a moment. Maybe some of you came in the church here in pain, a sorrow. Maybe you're suffering from others, some other sorrow that's been in your life unbeknownst to everybody else. It's still the same. You can rejoice always. You can pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus because he's always with you in those circumstances, and not only with you in those circumstances, he's helping you in those circumstances. He's always turning bad news into good news. Sometimes bad news is so horrible you think it can't be turned to good news, but I haven't found anything yet that can't be turned into good news. Because for as painful as it is to have a death, there's always a resurrection. There's always the promise. And we will see each other again. So be nice to each other now because you're going to live with each other for eternity. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how God makes the neighborhood, you know. Who knows? Maybe the one you had the most conflict in this life will be your next door neighbor, right? I assure you it will be a lot different then, right? So if you look in your outline on B, these Old and New Testament verses reflect a certain posture toward the Lord that is supernatural and aggressive, always looking for the activity and voice of the Lord in your life overcoming every kind of evil, right? So I want to look at Acts chapter 16. I love these verses so much. They ministered to me so much because they literally came to pass 
in the life of my friend, which I probably said many times, I just can't stop talking about it, thinking about it, a friend that actually went through something similar here. So Paul's beaten up, messed up, he's in a very difficult space, right? Wondering what in the world happened. I came to this city, you know, and uh, with this amazing uh, testimony of Jesus Christ, and all they did was beat me, right, and throw me in jail. And you don't see him complaining about it. Here's an interesting thing you see. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. This is verse 25. And the other prisoners were listening to them. (laughs) Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. What an amazing passage of scripture. The jailer, he woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sir, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. And so that Philippian jailer got healed, delivered, saved all at once through this incredible, horrible experience. And uh, I just think, again, I'm going to say this. There's, these, there's verses in the New Testament, Old Testament, These ones, this one in Acts 16, they reflect a certain posture, supernatural and aggressive, that we experience harm and difficulty. There's always a counterattack. So sometimes I watch people, and they're always so consumed with the enemy that they talk about the enemy's counterattack more than they do the Lord's counterattack, right? So they have a blessing or they're doing something. They say, now let's watch out. Something good's happened here. Let's wait for the counterattack, right? I hate that kind of talk, frankly. But I understand. I understand that sometimes uh, there can, can be that. But I like to think about the counterattack of the Lord. Something ugly happening, then the Lord coming and taking care of it. And I think that's far more prevalent and far more honoring to the Lord. Really, the counterattack. If you get attacked, why don't we expect the counterattack? See, you were made for giving thanksgiving and praise to God. The enemy does his number, and then God does one better. I'll guarantee you in this situation with the Macintoshes, God has something better, bigger. It's going to be amazing to watch. And we should expect it. I'm not putting a smiley face on a bad situation. I'm actually giving you reality because you were made for this. We were made, uh, regardless of what's going on in our life, we were made for this sort of positivity, this sort of lifestyle in the Lord. And it makes our witness that much sharper and brighter for other people who just need to hear some good news. Need to hear some good news. So though we suffer, we never suffer like other people. Unless we let the enemy just take us out and depress us and throw us away. Right? It's funny, this story, I, I'm sorry, I probably mentioned this for you that have been with me a while, 50 million times, but I just can't help it because every time I read this story, I think of another Paul. He's my Cambodian brother named Sopal, who I'm helped uh, plant the churches in Cambodia right after the Holocaust. And um, So some of you have heard this story, so I won't go into as much detail as I usually do. But this Sopal, <laughs> interesting, his name is Sopal, uh, was thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. A communist in Cambodia put him in. And he was with a bunch of political prisoners and uh, was just wasting away, chained to the floor with his hands, made to sit in his own excrement and was dying. Right? And they hardly fed him at all and he was starving to death, you know. And uh, just as he was 
about to die, uh, the heavens opened above his cell. And, uh, well, let me go back. I want to say something before that. Even in that place, he led the general who was in the stall next to him to the Lord. He led the colonel that was the other way and the political guy across the hall. He all led him to Christ. And so he began to sing in the prison. He'd sing this song, I've got a river of life flowing out of me, makes the lame to lock and the blind to see. I would sing for you, but it would be depressing. I got a river of life. <laughs> okay, you guys know it. <laughs> so anyway, so he's singing that song, but pretty much all the prisoners were singing it too, not even knowing exactly what they were, but it sounded good, and it was, at least it wasn't depressing, because they couldn't even see each other, because they had walls, so everyone was walled off from one another, they could just hear each other talk, right? So he's leading all these people, but in the middle of uh, worship, uh, an angel, uh, the, he saw the heavens opened up, and as he saw the heavens opened up, uh, he, he saw the angels and they were all singing this song together and I asked him whether they sang it in English or Cambodian and he said Cambodian of course it's a Cambodian song I said it's not a Cambodian song he said yes it is I got the proof they were in heaven singing Cambodian and, uh, so he, I couldn't convince him and so, so uh, anyway through that whole experience that he had uh, really dying and wasting away um, that experience happened and the, the voice from heaven told him uh, God was going to help him and told him to stop eating. Well, he was starving to death. So they were hardly giving him any food anyway. And then the Lord told him not to eat anything. So he just stopped eating. And pretty soon they saw that he was not eating. And so they took him into the hospital and uh, put him in a, a, a hospital where there's a communist Chinese doctor there who just happened to be a believer. <laughs> Can you believe that? So he's there, in, he's there laying there and just wasting away, and um, pretty soon, uh, just maybe two days later, lightning hit the compound, it uh, went, everything went dark, and um, uh, he felt the Lord tell him to get out, and so he couldn't walk, so he crawled on the floor out, and he got to the door, and then he literally fell in back of the guard that was standing there into the mud, right, but the God, guard didn't see him or hear him, so he crawled out underneath the house, out to the fence, and he he used the last bit of his strength to get to the fence, and he just put his arm in the fence. He couldn't go any farther. And pretty soon, uh, this uh, car comes along, sees him hung up in the fence, takes him out of the fence, puts him in uh, to the car, takes him to safety. And then he recovered, and then he began to gather his family, and, and they eventually escaped. And uh, that man, pastors today, full of the Holy Spirit, a whole movement of Christians in Cambodia, even though this happened many years ago, right? So, God's closer than you think, right? Even the bottom of a horrible foreign cell where everybody had given up, right? Sometimes I think we get put in those cells so we can be light to other people. It certainly happened here, right? Just like in Paul's story, Paul's story and Paul's story, interesting, they're very similar. Let's look at Psalm 100. I love this psalm. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. and We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And listen, our whole approach, which we did today, isn't it interesting? This is the way God prescribes to approach God. Enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. That's how we 
come close to God. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So that's into his very presence. He's talking about the temple. and You come in the gates and you come into the inner courts. So it's very interesting, isn't it? You were made for thanksgiving and praise to God regardless of what is going on in your life. So you enter his gates. And so I always use this in my prayer life and I, I try to maintain a high level of thanksgiving in my life because I found that thanksgiving and praise, even in the, and maybe I would say especially in the worst situations, I'm declaring a different reality by doing so, but I'm also feeling the presence of the Lord with it. I can feel God's presence. Then this verse, why do we do that? Well, here's the reason. For the Lord is good. It's amazing how many people don't believe God's good. They say it with their mouth, but they don't believe it in their heart. Sometimes it's hard, like in the circumstances we've been in, to actually believe that God's good. Right? And if you talk to me, I can give you circumstances as long as my arm is in my life and other people's lives. But nevertheless, despite it all, I found the Lord to be good in every way. Sometimes the enemy tries to talk you into him being bad, right? Looking at all the evidence, but no, no. The Lord's so good, so better than we think. Matter of fact, when he brings the emotions of God to sort of verify that, that's one of my favorite times in the Lord. Sometimes he fills people up with so much joy and so much love, you can't even hardly hold it, right? Matter of fact, I believe we don't feel more of that because it's not theologically in the church yet, fully. That there is a thing called the love of God that is so dramatic, so all-encompassing, so overwhelming, it's amazing. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So he loves you now. He'll love you Tomorrow, the next day, he'll love you through eternity. God is closer than you think. You can always take refuge in the Lord. Always, always, always. No matter how bad the situation, he's there for refuge. Lord, why did you do this or why did you do that? But you'll find in the end, he didn't do it. He doesn't do negative things. And he's always a refuge, right? I sought the Lord, he says, uh, Psalm 34, 4. I like this. And he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. If you do not let fear get a stronghold in your life, you'll find that this is true more often than not. That literally he can deliver you from all your fears and you can live a peaceful life. Sometimes I think people don't have that or experience that simply because they don't believe it's true or nobody ever told them that it was true. Or they never even envisioned or believed that God could really deliver you from your fears. So I'm not saying I don't get afraid, but I tell you what, I've made immense progress. And that's what we should all be doing. Our love quotient, our appreciation quotient should be much higher than our fear quotient, right? Because God specializes in delivering you from fear. And if you're not delivered from fear, where's the problem? (laughs) It's you. Stinky thinking, not believing. One thing that is required of you is that you have to believe. But the more you believe, the more you trust, and especially in moments like we're going through right now, that's actually where you learn to be delivered from your fears. You learn in the cauldron of horrible disappointment, you hear that voice. And I'm just thinking of that Forrest Gump movie. At the very end, very end, he puts his son on the bus, and he's sitting there, and what is it, a butterfly or something lands, lands on him, right? What, what was it? The, a feather, that's right. Floats down, and you know what it's saying. 
hey, God's good. God's transformed this, right? He's delivered, and I'm in a new place, right? Doesn't mean that the old place I won't have feelings for, that I won't have a bit of compassion in me, but it will not be this overarching, horrible sorrow. That's not for us, right? Because we know where we end up, and we know the end that we have. Not only that, but God will give us love and compassion in our heart now. Not later. Now. That's part of what you get with the Holy Spirit. If you haven't felt that compassion and love, we have entire classes on it. But you can experience it anytime just by understanding and believing that the Holy Spirit wants to do this in your life. He wants to deliver you from your fears. means he might have to take the laundry out occasionally, do the wash, <laughs> cleanse some stinky thinking, but you won't find it nearly as hard as you think. Just we have to release ourselves from the stronghold and believe what God says. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. When shame comes to you, that's from the pit of hell. Sometimes over our life, we've lived so much under the dominion of the enemy that we just got used to it. We thought that's the way God is or that's the way life is. That is not the way life is. Our faces are not to be covered with shame. I don't care what happened. I don't care if it was our own stinking fault. God can redeem that. Amen. Just look at his disciples. And everybody else that screwed up trying to live for God. <laughs> right? Never cover with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. Aren't you glad that the Lord hears you when you call? Yes, God. And he saved him out of all. That, wow, his troubles. That's a big word there. They should make that all caps in this Bible here. All. Are you kidding me? No. No, surely there's one. No. All. All. A-L-L. All. Hatam. All, right? Huh, TJ? All, all my troubles. Oh, I'm looking around. I know where all needs to come, land on this room. Oh, oh. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Ooh, I like that. I like these verses. I just like to read them. And this one. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So we've actually developed entire classes, <laughs> entire training sessions on learning to taste and see that the Lord is good. Because sometimes we just need to be reprogrammed with the scriptures, reprogrammed with God's spirit, reprogrammed in the presence of others and their prayers to get us actually on the other side of this. Because the enemy tries to program you just the opposite, to taste and see that the devil is in the evil, right? Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him, right? Oh my goodness. So I just love these passages. They're so beautiful. They're so clear. But most importantly... They are so true, right? And if you look at a couple of these verses, I, um, I like this verse 6 again. Uh, you can, so if you see on the outline, point C, you can take refuge in the Lord by calling out to God even when you are at the end of your resources. Yes. On D on the outline. Taking refuge in the Lord means understanding where your battles are really being fought, right? And I want to just mention that in, in, in concert with another passage. It's, 2 Kings chapter 6. And it's so encouraging to know that our battles are being fought on another plane. Even on the plane where angels are singing, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. <laughs> on the plane where a voice can come and speak to you and tell you you're going to be delivered and tell you what to do. Tell you not to eat when you're starving to death, which makes no sense whatsoever. But it turns out to be the way you get delivered, right? God's so amazing. So... Elisha the prophet 
And uh, it's amazing how you read the life of these prophets, these mighty men and women of God, you know. And you sort of think of them as never having problems, never being overwhelmed, never being confused. But we know, even the prophets, as we look through these supernatural people, powered with the Holy Spirit, and the disciples and every person that ever tried to live for God in this life, always have these conundrums, these things. And so here we go, and Elisha's got this great, great ministry right going. And he's literally defeating the Arameans, which are Israel's enemy, with just words of knowledge. Hey, king, you better go down there. They're coming in. <laughs> so the king gets smart. The, the enemy king gets smart. He says, man, who's telling us? How do they always know we're coming? They say, well, it's because of this prophet down there, right? Which I think is an interesting arrangement. Could that ever be restored to the church? We're just telling the secrets of everything. We're just giving wisdom about stuff. Hey, king, don't worry about that. You know, da, da, da. Hey, you probably not better go over there. Maybe in this age that we live in, where the enemy has been so rampant and there's been so much bad advice, could it be that God wants us to pray that God would actually raise up real-life prophets with real-life messages for real-life leaders? I think they are intensely needy, right? So actually, I think you can pray for such things. We should pray for good news in our leaders. We should pray for them. I think God wants them to repent and turn. You know what? It's amazing how evil kings and how horrible kings, how horrible armies and horrible people can get uh, blasted with the goodness of God. So they send this army and they surround Elisha and his servant. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Is that true? He's looking out there, where, where? I don't see nothing. <laughs> who, who? <laughs> He's talking about the reality. Your reality. My reality. Greater are those that are with us than with them. If the victory of Jesus did anything, it made those that are with them more powerful. Those that are with us that are more powerful than those that are with them, Right? Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. I want to just pray this for a moment. Lord, I pray over our church, over the Macintoshes. I pray you'd open our eyes so that we could see the reality of what you're really doing. See the reality of your goodness to us, even when it looks so bad. I pray you'd open our eyes. Lord, you have to do it supernaturally. So just like Elisha prayed, I'm praying for us today. Would you open our eyes so we can see today? As a matter of fact, if anyone has just had a death in their family or a horrible experience, just barely dragged in, I'm asking that you would open their eyes so that they could see the reality. If God be for you, who can be against you, right? So Elisha understood this. He says, open his eyes to the Lord that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness so he struck him with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told him, this is not the road, this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria, which is the capital of Israel. After they entered the city, Elisha said, open, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there, there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, hey, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? <laughs> Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you've captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. 
So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their masters. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. There's more, more than one way to cause it, right? He overwhelmed them with goodness. That's how God did it. It stuck much better than beating them in battle. God had a plan. But the most important thing is that actually there are angels, just like in Saul's case. We're surrounded by angel armies, aren't we? We can take refuge in the Lord. It understand, means understand where your battles are really being fought. Even my friend Saul's battle was being fought in the heavens with the angels singing and rejoicing. Your battles are being fought there. They're not impossible. If they were impossible places to go, we would never make it. We are a supernatural people. I know sometimes that feels so far from us. We feel so ordinary. But we weren't made like that. We literally have the Holy Spirit living in us. Even the prophets of old, where the Holy Spirit was resting on them. But in our New Testament dispensation, literally when you receive Jesus Christ in your own heart, He comes living inside of you. He's closer than you think. You can hear his voice. You have access to angels. You can cooperate, pray for them. You're in the inside of the kingdom. And angels even long to look in the things of redemption of ordinary saints. They long to look into these things because they haven't experienced what we've experienced, this object of taking refuge in the Lord, this object of the goodness of God toward people that absolutely in no way deserve it. Right? Yes. We can always taste and see that the Lord is good. Can I just say that again? Mike, that was a very good thing you just said there. Yes. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Refuge in him. Sometimes our stomach gets upset. We don't feel like eating and tasting. But it never does us any good, does it? No. Eventually fasting catches up with you and you get weaker and weaker. You got to keep tasting the Lord is good. That's why you come to church. That's why we gather together. God makes it so that we can taste and see that the Lord is good amongst one another. Right? It's very, very powerful. That's why we need each other. Right? We actually sometimes have to remind each other the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Matter of fact, that's kind of the way the Lord made the body of Christ. Made us to talk to one another, encourage one another, bless one another. Right? We're like Jesus with skin on. I don't mean to say that irreverently. Just that the very Spirit of God has come and lived on the inside of us. That's why he calls us Christians, right? But what we do is we are good news. We help other people see that the Lord is good. One of the most powerful things that we have in our church, one of the most powerful things that I learned to do on purpose all the time in church is the power of testimony. So like in our business prayer meeting, for some of you are part of that, one of the things I always do, you'll, you'll hear me all the time, I just talk about testimonies for like the first, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. We just talk about testimonies. Talk about testimonies. Because we're about to pray for some really serious and important needs. I think almost every prayer meeting should be like that. Maybe I think it's part of the Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Just rejoice in the testimony of answered prayer. It's just so powerful how it builds us up. So it's so important to make even a lifestyle of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. In our families, our households. I think that we need to do that on purpose more, right? And remember our blessings. Remember the things that God's done for us. Sometimes the enemy, maybe I'd say a lot of times, the enemy ends up covering them, the testimonies, trying to cover up what's been good in our life. If you've had a major breakthrough in any area, and I've been doing this for a long time now, 
I didn't used to do it, but I found so much good just putting these signposts in my heart, remembering what God did, remembering what God did. Remember how he shined his light on me. So sometimes one of the best gifts that can happen to a person is have a really horrible thing happen to them, and then God shine his light on them and redeem them. They wear that testimony and shine that flashlight for the entire rest of their life. What a gift some pain is, because we're able to comfort so many people And by the way, God doesn't just leave us alone in it. He helps us. He comes to us. He blesses us. He doesn't stay in that space. Matter of fact, if there should be anything that should encourage us, it's the testimony of another person. How do they overcome the devil? It says they overcame him with the testimony, the word of their testimony. That's one of the ways, right? The word of their testimony. That's why it's so important to be in the body and be in smaller groups and be in prayer groups. Because they inspire us. We live by our faith. We don't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. But not negative words, positive words. Words that build us up. That's how we live. And we live from the inside out. So we need each other to communicate these things. Because God is closer than we think. And people with skin on help us to realize that, right? That's why every little prayer meeting, every little gathering you can have where there's other believers praying and asking God and telling testimonies is so powerful for your life. It is hard to exist alone without God. And it's hard to exist alone with God without testimony, without remembering, without taking refuge in Him, right? So if we look at Roman numeral 3, with those who fear the Lord and cry out, what those who fear the Lord and cry out to Him can expect? Well, I love, we're going back to our uh, Psalm uh, Psalm 34, verses 9 and 10. Fear the Lord, you... His holy people, for those who fear him, lack nothing. The lions may grow weary, weak and hungry, sorry. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Wow. Is that real? I think the difference is just believing that. Trusting that. Pursuing God. I think in the long scope of your life, so I have a longer scope than I used to have. <laughs> right? But I have a long scope. So if I, I could go one of two ways with that long life, right? I could either grow bitter and worse and worse, or I could grow better and better through all the wondrous, crazy, wonderful miracles I've seen in my life. So what I do is I, I, I used to have marbles when I was a little guy, you know? And I, I'd take them and I'd, we all gamble. You know, first grade, trying to shoot everybody's box because if you got their got their marble out, you got to keep it, right? And you're always going for this, so we used to do that, right? Why do I even say that? Anyway, I think of marbles as my good thoughts, right? My good things. I have these marbles, and there's clearies, and there's cat eyes, and there's boulders, and there's steelies, and all this stuff, right? Which were treasured to a little boy. But now I have Marbles. I haven't lost them yet, thank God. I'm still going. I got steelies and clarys and all kinds of testimonies, things that I remember. And I was just thinking of, you know, as horrible as the events of the last uh, several days have been for us and uh, things, I'm thinking, you know, you know, I've been through stuff like this before. And the most important thing is not that I've been through like this stuff, stuff before, but that I remember how we finished coming out the other side. So I've kept those memories alive in me. So 
we don't get intimidated as easily as we used to. I think people that carry around their marbles and haven't lost them yet, carrying them around their bag, these good thoughts and everything, are some most dangerous people in the world of the enemy yeah. and the most alive people to God there is. Right? Amen. Because we always have a testimony. We always remember. We take that and we pay it forward into the thing and God responds to faith. Right? Thank you, God. And then there's the ultimate marble. <laughs> the heavenly one. So if things don't go great, we're going to be with Jesus forever and ever. Yeah. Can't lose, right? Yeah. And we'll sing, I got a river of life pouring out of me. Right? Makes the lame to block, walk in the blind to see. So last thing on our outline. What does it mean for the Lord to be close to the brokenhearted. I love this verse so much. Aren't you glad that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit? So God knows full well how to heal your broken heart. And he will. And he does. And he uses others sometimes to help in the process. But he's close. If you have a broken heart today, he's close. The enemy will try to make you feel like he's far away. But the truth is, he's lied to you. What? Satan would lie? Yes. He only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal your thoughts and memories. Destroy. Do anything to disrupt you. To distort the truth especially, right? But this is a fact. The Lord is close to the broken heart and he saves those crushed in spirit. No matter how you got that way, even if it was your own dumb fault, Sometimes I think that's some of the hardest of all when a person comes and becomes aware that the wages of sin is death or that it was their own bad choices that got on there. But could I just say something special to you? Listen, people have been making dumb choices for years and years and years. Even the disciples made dumb choices, right? But God will redeem every dumb choice. Even if you're in the situation because it's your own fault. Don't let the enemy pin that on you in any way. Don't let him pin it on you because you are made for higher and better. And if you did something stupid that caused you to be in the place that you're in, you can get out and guess what? You're going to be better. You're going to warn everybody. You're going to be, be a, a, a great beacon of light. Hey, I stumbled in there. Please don't do that. That's very, very dumb. <laughs> so we have those kind of testimonies. We've got our glorious testimonies, and then we got our I was dumb testimonies. Sometimes I think I was dumb testimonies are the most effective, right? Right? And God's closer than we think in those testimonies, right? Look at verse 22. Let's go down to 34, 22. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. I love that. Thank you, God. No one who takes refuge. You know, you can take refuge in God after screwing up, making wrong decisions over and over and over again. But he's looking for something in you. He's looking for you to snap. To take refuge in him. To say, God, I'm sorry. I need a change. I realize now how stupid I've been. Whatever you do, when you're at that place, you're almost at the very best place you could be spiritually in your life. That's called repentance, right? Don't let the enemy cloud it with condemnation. Condemnation is not repentance. Repentance is saying, Oh, I did it. I feel bad about that, but I am not going to let that flush me down the toilet. I am not going to let me cause more problems. I'm going to turn. I'm going to make a change. That's the beauty of taking refuge. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. So, well, I'm not, it's not good enough. 
you know, I've, you don't know what I've done. You know what my line's like. Uh, I think it says there, no one who takes refuge. And if you look through the Bible, there's terrorists and criminals and horrible people in this Bible. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the worst bunch of people you've ever seen in your life in here, man. <laughs> They're everywhere. And yet God gets them. And it's the story of glory of God changing. Here's a dangerous thing. It's the danger of lukewarmness in this thing. Sometimes people draw these strangest conclusions. Well, I haven't been that old bad, right? But that keeps them from being all that good because they feel like they've been kind of good. Medium is horrible. Lukewarm is even worse than being hot or cold. At least you know where you stand. This medium place gives you an excuse just to be lukewarm, just to be okay with God, not be close. He's closer than you think, and he wants more than that for you. He wants to be right next to you. He wants to talk to you. It's your God-given right. It's your God-given place with the Lord. You're called a Christian. You've got Christ in you. And he is the hope of glory. And we can see some of that glory even, even now, right? I have just a couple other passages I want to mention will be done here today. The thing is, there's something else that I want to just say to you about the supernaturalness of God that some of you might not be aware of. For many years in the ministry, I didn't even know this was possible. Thank God this guy named Eddie Purick came along just the right time and helped me, right? And so in Romans 8, I don't have this passage here, but I want to just read this just a moment. The Spirit you received, received this is verse 15, then I'm going to move on to uh, 31. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Daddy, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with the spirit that we are God's children. Wow. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. Indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, that last part, don't let that fool you there. Because you're going to suffer in this life, Right? question is whether you're going to suffer for the wrong reason or share, suffer and, and identify with Jesus that and heal you or identify with the sufferings of others. But up above here is the key. The Spirit comes and by Him we scream, we yell, we cry, Abba, Daddy. So what I'm saying is in God there's an experience of the Spirit where it goes so deep that we can truly call Him our Daddy. That we feel His love all around us. And this passage is so obvious. Abba means daddy. So I could say it this way. Have you learned? Have you got to the place? Has someone taught you that this is even true, which is most of the battle? That you can have an experience with the Spirit so deep that you can genuinely call God your dad. Without wincing, without being religious about it, you know he's your dad because you know, without a shadow of a doubt, he loves you. God is closer than you think. He wants to take you into the experience more than you could have ever imagined. I never believed after many, many years of the Lord, I never knew this. And then a few years ago, I ran into some people that were walking with the Spirit in a way that I hadn't experienced before. Looked a little crazy at first. Had kind of some weird lingo. Worship was different. I was doing Hebrew hoedown and they were up there crying with all their heart and tears coming down their face having this conniption every worship service. 
I'm thinking, raise your hands, dance around, have a good time, then we'll go home. Right? No. But they seem to have something else. At first I thought the whole church was having a nervous breakdown. That was pretty much my per- perception of the vineyard when I first came in. And uh, I hope that that's what everybody perceives when they come in here. I really do hope. I hope they think, you know, especially if they're new, man, these people are really crazy. They worship. Wait, do they really mean that? And that person over there, they look like they're really like into this thing. I like to think, sing a few songs, but this is like a little bit overboard, isn't it? And then you see people coming up and they're confessing their sins and like, whoo, who would it? That's a little bit too close. Sorry, man, that's a little bit close for me. And they'd say it from the pulpit. You know, I used to be this and that. And they'd say it and everybody go, I, I'd be in my seat like as a Christian just cringing. Oh my gosh, you said that publicly. What are you doing? Man? <laughs> well, the thing is, they learned to, nah, they just didn't get real. Gosh, I've been to some places where everybody's real and it just sucks. Oh, man. They're real to be real. You know what I mean? Have you ever been in that atmosphere? Like, they're almost trying to best one another to tell how bad they've been in sin, right? And I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about this love, this Abba love that comes where the Spirit testifies in your spirit that you're God's kid. I'm telling you, that's in the mix. That's in our church. I do my life in the Spirit class, which you're welcome to come on Wednesdays. Uh, too. I teach, I'll be getting to that just in a few couple of weeks. And we teach it all in every kind of way you can imagine. The Father loves you and that God will manifest His love and show you. And it's a supernatural, powerful, beautiful experience. And in that space, you finally begin to believe as you call out, Abba, Father. From that place, you realize that actually God oversees all the trouble in your life. Because you're his son. You're his daughter for real. Not just in heaven, but here now. I believe as we close the service today that God's going to come to a number of you. I think if we'll give him a chance with the worship, some of you are really wounded, kind of broken up over what's happened lately. Maybe even over your own life. But you might just try with the worship band and you guys, the worship band, you guys can make, begin making your way up here. You might just try, um, just as we play music and stuff, um, coming up and just asking God to release compassion to you, to come close to you. Now here's an interesting secret about this that we also discovered. This is the one that was so really surprised me the most. First of all, I thought everybody was really weird. And I couldn't believe that this many people were having that many tears. I thought this is the biggest bunch of crybabies I've ever been in all my life. You know, come on, man. <laughs> and then I became one of them. Oh, how embarrassing that was. How horribly embarrassing. So you might see a little of that around here, maybe a lot, as we talk about it incessantly. And in light of the pain that we've all been going through, I think that uh, the Father's love, and just what I mean by that is just the place where you hear God saying, Abba, or you hear yourself saying, Abba. In other words, not just Father, but Daddy. And you feel him coming on you, this wonderful, lovely spirit of compassion that drives a person to go to that place. You could experience it that now. And maybe in your own life. You don't even know the people we've been talking about. But maybe you've got pain in your own life. And you just need Abba to come. Now here's the thing. I started to say this a minute ago. The most, one of the most surprising aspects of this has been 
okay, so I got it. So I'm going to stand there, right? So I did. I'd come up. And I go, okay, I f- this feels kind of good. I'm in worship. And then somebody come and pray for me. Just ordinary person. Actually, some kind of people would come pray for me that are very much unlike me, you know? I mean, just really weird, different kind of people. Hair, weird hairdo, or they were like, they look like they just climbed out of bed, or. <laughs> you know, they weren't exactly like your Orange County person. Well, that's changed fairly radically, I'd say, in the last several years, right? So, uh, but I found the most surprising thing. When they come up and pray for me, the love of God would come on me. And sometimes it was through the most unusual person, you know, that I thought, I am never going to get a thing from this person. I wish they would not even touch me, frankly. (laughs) So I'm just being real here. But God, with skin on, looks different. And he comes through humble means many times because he gives grace to the humble. And many times we don't get healed on the inside or experiencing from God because we're just too hard and too proud. And the worst part of pride is to be religiously arrogant. I got to say something funny because I made a number of proclamations in my early journey with the Lord. Be careful about this one. You probably won't, but I'll just warn you anyway. Don't ever say, I will never do that. I will never be like that. I said that for a long time. And I spent a good three, four years being just like that, only worse than anybody else. The harder your heart, the harder you fall sometimes. I just, just condemnation and the rest of it, you know. And, and I'm thinking, man, these people, they're needy, really screwed up people. How do you get so screwed up and still name Jesus as your... And then I thought, oh my gosh. That religious spirit had to come off of me, layer by layer, until God engineered these really interesting circumstances just to that place where I became vulnerable enough to just try and be prayed for and try to receive. And when I did, all heaven broke loose. And it's been breaking loose ever since, right? What does it mean for the Lord to be close to the broken heart? Well, I just say broken heartedness. It's a good start. But the kind the Lord brings, right? That conviction mixed in with disappointment, that love mixed in there, right? Here's the last thing. Proverbs 24, 16. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. I declare, Lord, over the Macintosh family, over our family, it's been affected so negatively in the last several weeks and months. I declare, for the, though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked, I could put in there the hard-hearted, stumble when calamity strikes. Lord, I declare today we are not going to stumble we're going to rise again. We are rising again. And everyone affected in their own life, in their own private difficulty, I declare you rising again. Matter of fact, why don't we just stand up together? Could I just please have some compassionate, weird ministry team? You could just come up to the front.
You know, the thing you might not know about the people that we have up here to pray for you, especially if you're new or you just need prayer today. Maybe you just need to spend some time with the Lord and need somebody to pray for you. If you don't need that, if you're in a difficult place, you may have to just be talked into needing that. I assure you, you won't regret it, especially if you're in a certain level of pain. Sometimes I wonder if maybe it takes a certain level of pain to basically say, I need people. But what we're really saying is, I need God. You said, well, I'd just rather have God direct. How many times I've thought, well, that would have been so great just to get it direct. But almost every major experience in my life, I got through another person. And I think that's the experience of many of us. That's why he uses it. That's why we're called the body of Christ. It's not just because it's a nice thought, a nice like, ooh, that sounds nice. It's reality. God puts this treasure in earthen vessels and he causes us to pray for one another. That treasure comes out earthen, ordinary, but full of compassion. Lord, we've been wounded as a church. I've known to look for compassion every time I've been wounded, so I ask for more love, more compassion. What the enemy's meant for evil in anybody's life, I pray you would turn. So if you like, you can come up here and get prayer. Maybe you have a physical problem or a mental or emotional thing or something wrong in your family. Feel free to do that. But what I would encourage everyone to do, especially if you're not bold enough to do that, I think there are some people that were touched while I was speaking. I can see on your faces. So I would just encourage you to do this. And if you could be sensitive to the people around you, please, for the next 10 or 15 minutes, don't talk too much. If you talk, talk out in the area. Out, outside there. Lord, I just ask you that you would heal Deborah, Deborah right now. Anybody else that's in the hospital or having difficulty, would you heal her body or you raise her up? Thank you for her lovely service to us. And anybody here that needs physical or emotional healing or just needs to pray, just needs to connect with God, whether you come up here or you don't, may the Lord just bless you. May the Lord rest on you. May the Father's love surround you and envelop you in this time. May God's love be on you. May you get a kiss from our Father before you go today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So if you don't come up, you might want to just pause and stay. If you stay, could you be careful about the people around you? Some of you might just, it's everything they can do just to be in here. But they know they need to stay for a moment and do business with God. And if you talk too much around them, it might ruin them. So let's just make, have some reverence before the Lord here just for a few minutes then we'll begin to break up. But uh, You can do it during the worship as well. Have a little connection with God just doing that. I encourage you to take advantage of all these wonderful prayer people. Believe me, they've been there before. You can more, I think, if you want to, if you feel like you're too crammed up against the wall. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for building us up and encourage you to strong. May your love be thick here. May you rescue anybody that's in place, Lord, that just needs a touch from God, whether it's physical, mental, or emotional, in Jesus' name.